Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 1. The prophet says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I just want to pause for a moment. This is not part of my message, but it says, it's talking about Jesus, but it says we esteemed him not. I'm glad that someplace we got a revelation. And that today in this church, we don't have a problem with esteeming Jesus Christ very highly. Jesus... You can do anything. Jesus, you mean everything to us. And so we esteem Him very highly. But I want to talk to you today from this title, Grace, Mercy, and Rolled Up Sleeves. Grace, Mercy, and Rolled Up Sleeves. Won't you just put your Bible, your phone, whatever it is, to the side, close your eyes, let's lift our hands unto the Lord. And ask God to talk to us today. Father, you're wonderful. Thank you for what we feel. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your awesome word. Now, Lord, you're here amongst us. And you said where two or three are gathered together, you would be here in the midst of us. So, Father, I, we, we surrender to you. And whatever you want to do and whatever you want to accomplish, that's what we desire. Let us have a spirit of surrender to whatever that you want to do today. God, have your way. We'll thank you for it in advance. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. And you can be seated. I think that if we did a poll today, not that the church is a democracy by any means, nor is Scripture a democracy, but I think if we did a poll today and asked the folks in this room, are we nearing the end of this age? I think that we would come to an overwhelming majority that would testify and say, yes, we are in the last days. In fact, I don't think we're just in the last days. I think that we are in the end of the last days. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Sounds like a cruise through Facebook, doesn't it? Uh, unthankful, unholy, uh, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I don't think that there is any argument that could say uh, we are not living in the middle of those conditions. Certainly we are in the last days. Can I get an amen from the church? Uh, the Bible also tells us, Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus is speaking, and He begins to describe what it's going to look like uh, just before His return. He says, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. 
And then he begins to give some indications of what life might be like uh, just before his return. He says, As the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came. And took them all away, and so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He said, in the days before I return, it's going to be like it was in Noah's day, that people were just going on with life without any thought about eternity. He says they were, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage. There was no thought about the things of God and the things of eternity. It was only about what's going on in life today. And then the flood came. And uh, he goes on, he says, Likewise as it was in the days of Lot, that they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. In other words, they were just about today. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed all of them. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It lets us to know that the conditions on earth uh, are going to be much like they were in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, certainly this is an unprecedented age that we live in. That uh, Certainly these, the, the, the conditions of Sodom and Gomorrah and in this mixed crowd with children here, we won't get into the conditions of Sodom and Gomorrah, but they were deplorable. They were absolutely reprehensible, the, the filth and disgusting sensuality that was going on. And we're living in that world today. Uh, and so we've got to be ready. Look at your neighbor and say, we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready because one day Jesus is going to split the skies. One day we're going to hear a trumpet sound. One day it's all going to be over on this earth. We're going to be out of here uh, and I don't want to be left behind. There are a couple of views of Jesus' return. One of them is uh, what is illustrated in the book of Hebrews. In fact, I'll read you a few scriptures. Uh, Hebrews 9.28, it says, To them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Second Timothy, he says this, that uh, He's going to appear to those that love His appearing. The Apostle John winds up the book of Revelation and Jesus says this, he says, surely I come quickly. And John responds and says, even so come Lord Jesus. The first view of the rapture is, Lord we're waiting, come whenever you're ready. The first view of the rapture is this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel it. I'm not at home in this world. This world doesn't feel like home. I feel like I'm a stranger in the midst of this mess. And I'm just waiting. Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's the first view of the rapture. Is there something better waiting for us on the other side? Somebody shout amen. I am excited to be in His presence, Brother Pat. I love to feel the Holy Ghost, but I understand that the infilling of the Holy Ghost is but a down payment on what we're going to receive whenever this corruption puts on incorruption. When this mortality puts on immortality. One day, in a moment, and in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed, and we're going to ever be with the Lord. 
you're not going to have Holy Ghost goosebumps in heaven. You're going to have the fullness of His presence. You're going to have... What you feel whenever we get together, we worship, whenever you're filled with the Holy Ghost, whenever those things happen, it's just a small down payment looking forward to what heaven is going to be. Praise God. That's exciting all in of itself. If you hate the snow, don't worry. There's no snow over yonder. <clears throat> Praise God. We got... Nah, all right. Nah, now we're going to preach a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, let's not get bogged down there. But that's the first view of the rapture. Is even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But the second view of the rapture is illustrated in scriptures like Hebrews 10 and 27. That if we're not looking forward to the rapture because we're not ready to go, then there is not an anticipation, but according to Hebrews, a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7 says this, that the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire and taking vengeance on them that know not God and know not the gospel. I have come to tell you today that I need a Savior. And you need a Savior. Just go ahead and say it. I need a Savior. You need a Savior because the end is coming. Peter said this, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Jesus said this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Isaiah said, All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved. The heavens shall be rolled up together as a scroll and the host of heaven shall fall down as a leaf that falls from the vine and as a falling fig from the fig tree. There's going to come a day when all of this is gone. And I need a Savior. Jesus, we need a Savior. I need a Savior because the end is coming. But I need a Savior because I cannot save myself. Brother Anderson, I, 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 I try to do good stuff. I fail a lot. I try to do good stuff. Everybody in this room probably at some level or another, you try to do good stuff. Just kind of shake your head up and down. I try to do good stuff. I do try to do good stuff. But it doesn't matter how much good stuff that we do, it will never be enough good stuff. Isaiah said this, we are all as an... I need to park there for just a second. Your righteousness and your standing with God is not a matter of how many good things you do. Our righteousness, he says, we are all... Somebody say all. We are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our righteousness is not good enough. I, I was praying, meditating, and I was thinking about this this morning. There's a story that uh, I've referred to a number of times. It's a true story. It's about Ernest Shackleton and the expedition that was supposed to go to the South Pole. 
they, their, their ship was crushed in the ice. And for something like 18 months to two years, I can't remember now how long they were, they were on the ice in Antarctica with nothing but what was on that boat. And eventually the boat was crushed and it, it, it sunk between the ice. And, and they, all they had was the things that they could carry on their backs or pull behind them on a sled. And so for, for 18 plus months, they had one change of clothing in Antarctica. And through, through a number of, of really amazing events, they made it back to um, an island that had a whaling station. Three of them crossed this island, went across waterfalls, cliffs, all kinds of amazing... It's a, it's a truly amazing story. But as they were walking into, this is about 1910, somewhere in that area. As they're walking into the town where that whaling station was, they, there was one of them that had saved some uh, safety pins. He had three or four safety pins that he had saved in his pocket. And it says that he took those out and he began to pin up his clothing. Now, just imagine if you wore the same clothes for 18 months. There's going to be holes. There's gonna, they were, I mean, it, it, they were falling apart. And he took these safety pins and he, and he just started to pin it up to, to make it look a little bit better. Now, brethren, cistern today, do you think he looked all that presentable with the addition of three or four safety pins? But that's what we look like when we're trying to present ourselves to God based on our own righteousness based on our own good deeds or our own merits. We are as but filthy rags. Romans says it's written, there is none righteous and no, not one. Even the Apostle Paul would write and say, I find a law that when I would do good, evil is ever present. Even the great Apostle Paul had to admit, I need a Savior. The world needs a Savior. Every one of us needs a Savior. Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to quote that verse, Sister Fonda. You just hold on for a moment. Genesis chapter 6 says that God saw the wickedness of man that was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And repented the Lord that he had made man. In other words, God was sad he made man. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from off the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Now remember, Jesus said there's a parallel between the end of the age and the end of Noah's days, or the end of the age in Noah's days. That there was a flood in Noah's day, but, but there's a very important verse after God is, is he's, he's talking about how, how disgusted he is with the, with the degradation of mankind. It says in verse number 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In all of that mess, God found somebody to work through. All of creation would have been destroyed and all of humanity would have been gone. But God found a man. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found someone to use to save the world through. And aren't you glad that God found a Noah? And so it was through Noah that God gave instructions. You need to build an ark, make it this big, this big, this big. And, and, and the world, uh, the, the, this, the human race was saved because God found somebody that he could work through. I've often wondered, how many people did God go to and say, 
there's going to be a flood, you need to build a boat. And how many of them did not hear? Did God choose Noah? I can't get bogged down here. But God didn't, maybe God didn't choose Noah because of what he could do, but he chose Noah because of what he would do. And so I don't know how many people that God went to before finally Noah said, Oh, okay. Rain? Flood? Boat? Yes, I will do it. And so Noah built a boat. You know the story. Fast forward. Because man did not stay righteous. Noah's offspring, they spiraled downhill and God found Abraham and, and, and all these, these folks to work through. But in Isaiah 59, verse number 16, it says, he, he was looking again because here we are in a mess of a world. He's looking again. And it says, he saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. Isaiah 52 and 10 says this, The Lord has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I want you to, I want you to see this. That God was, was looking, He wanted to bring salvation. But He said, I can't find anybody. He wondered that there was nobody to stand in the gap. He wondered that there was no go-between. And, and so, in the midst of all this, God just said, yep. as He made His holy arm bare, the Message Bible says, God, has rolled up his sleeves. In other words, if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to have to do it myself. Have you ever been in that situation where it's just like, well, I can see that this is not going to go well if I don't start doing something here. How many of you have ever just had to roll up your sleeves and do it because nobody else is going to do it right? God said, I, I'm going to have to bear my holy arm and I'm going to have to bring salvation myself. No wonder in 1 Timothy 3.16 it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. In other words, God said, I got to go do it myself. There's no man righteous. Nobody can do this. And so God manifests Himself in flesh. We sung it today. Show me your glory. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh. And we beheld His glory. Oh, I'm so thankful that God said, when nothing else will work, when everything else is going to fail, I refuse to fail. I refuse to let the world be lost. I am going to come myself. He said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Are you thankful that he was not willing to give up? He was not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How did he do that? He rolled up his sleeves and says, I'm going to bring mercy and grace myself. Yeah. Woo! Hallelujah. I needed him to come. 
because I couldn't save myself. I needed Him to come because I needed a Savior. You needed Him to come because you needed a Savior. You couldn't get yourself clean by yourself and you wouldn't have a testimony by yourself. But by the grace of God, I stand. But by the grace of God, He delivered me. I'm so thankful He came. He said, if I come, it's expedient for you that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send back the power of my Spirit to live in you. He said, one day, you're going to be in me and I'm going to be in you. I've just come to preach a simple message today. There was a day that God decided to roll up His sleeves. Because you couldn't. Because I couldn't. Because nobody else was worthy. God said, I will come myself. It says that He took stripes on His back. He took a crown of thorns on His head. He was beaten. He was bruised. Why? So that we could have deliverance. So that we could have salvation. So that we could have help in time of trouble. Aren't you thankful for a God who said, I will come myself. When nobody else would do, he would do. And it doesn't, it, in the same way that it doesn't matter how good you've been, it also does not matter how bad we have been. It's all the same. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not, somebody say, will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral or adulterers or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I'm so glad... That Jesus set me free. Man, we could get happy singing that song right now. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. I'm so glad for what Jesus has done. Is anybody glad about what Jesus has done in your life? Such were some of you. If you confess, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We serve a God that loves us so desperately that He was willing to come Himself. The Bible says that Jesus' name is a name that is above every other name. That name is more powerful. Uh, there's something exciting that happens whenever we're baptized in that name. Because that name is higher. When we, that name is called over us in baptism. The Bible says that when we're buried with Him in baptism, we put on Christ. It's like a, a garment. It's a covering. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But when we put on the name of Jesus, it's able to cover everything that I've ever done in my past. Somebody say everything. It will cover everything that I've done in my past. Why? Because the name of Jesus is greater than any other name. Every name that can be named in heaven and earth. The name of Jesus is greater than adultery. The name of Jesus is greater than fornication. The name of Jesus is greater than drug addiction. The name of Jesus is greater than lying. The name of Jesus is greater... 
the name of Jesus is greater. You just plug in your sin and remember when you come up out of that water that the name of Jesus is higher than everything that is behind me. The name of Jesus is greater than anything I've ever done in my past. The name of Jesus. That name. Not my name. My name doesn't work. Pat's name doesn't work. Your name doesn't work. Your name doesn't work. He had to come with his own name. He just had to roll up his sleeves and say, I guess I'm going to have to do this myself. And he did. Because he loves us. The Lord told me to read this story this morning, so I'm going to. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. He said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there, he arose, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent to him, he sent him to feed the swines in his field. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants in my father's house have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and he came to his father. But when his father was yet a great but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. There's so much stuff in that story that's so powerful, Brother Homer. It's so powerful. Uh, That young man, we, we could do the, uh, the nearly inspired version of it. You know, he, he, he asked daddy for the inheritance and then he, he skipped town. Says that he wasted on riotous living. I, I, don't, I guess he was in honky tonks and, I, you know, you can fill in the blank. Wherever he went, he went. Whatever he spent his money on, he spent his money on. And, uh, I, I, you know, no doubt the father at least had some intuition about what had happened to his boy. I don't know if any reports came back from that far country. Junior's over here, and he's done some stuff that wouldn't make you real proud. Maybe the father had some insight about what was going on, but, but there was something in that daddy that, that, that said, my boy, I believe he's going to come back. Glenn Ferris, Apostolic Church, I believe that folks are coming back. Um... Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, 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 stop. I'm doing everything I can to change my verb tense as we talk. So let's change this. I don't believe that they're going to come back. I believe they're on the way back now. <laughs> 
I believe there are sons and daughters that have walked away that are on their way back now. They've already had a revelation. They, They don't need a preacher and they don't need God to have this revelation. It was better off in daddy's house. I was better off before all of this mess. And so I believe that they are on their way back right now. We've got to have the attitude of the father. Daddy's watching, and, and, and he might have sent a servant to retrieve a fatted calf, and he might have sent a servant to retrieve uh, whatever all, all this stuff that had to be done. There was, but there was one individual that was going to greet that son whenever he came home, and he wasn't going to delegate that to anybody else. He said, "I am watching." And whenever the young man was yet a long way off, the father saw him, and it doesn't say that he stood on the porch and tapped his foot judgmentally. It doesn't say that uh, he gathered the servants around said, yeah, I told you that boy would be back. He didn't do any of that. It says he ran to that young man and embraced that young man. That's the kind of God that we serve. That he's waiting... I, I, I just want to tell you, God's got his sleeves rolled up and, and he's, he's, just waiting to do, he's just waiting to embrace somebody. He said, bring me that coat. Bring me that coat because my boy's got the smell of sin. He's got the evidence of sin. He's been in a pig pen. He's been all kinds of stuff. But I've got a garment of righteousness. Come here, Parker. I, he said, I, I got a garment that's going to cover all of his sin. There, there might be evidence of prostitution but I got a garment that'll cover it. There, there might be evidence of a, of a gambling habit, but I got a garment that will cover it. There might be evidence of addiction, but I got a garment that's going to cover it. What's the name? The name is Jesus. He's going to bring a garment. And... Thank you, buddy. I, I, I thought about, uh, uh, I'm horrible with titles, but I thought about today's title, being in the grip of grace. Because God's extending His arm of grace and He's trying to get a hold of people in this hour. Because judgment is coming. Because the end is coming. Because the sound of the trumpet is coming. And God's got His sleeves rolled up and He's reaching into humanity. And He's pulling people in this last hour. Oh, will you lift your hands right now? Oh God... Why don't we all stand to our feet? We've got a God that has rolled up His sleeves and He is reaching right now. He is drawing right now. He's not drawing in judgment. He's not drawing in condemnation. He's drawing even as He did in the garden. Adam! Where are you, Adam? Adam, I haven't come to condemn you. Son, I haven't come to condemn you. I've come to draw you closer. I know you feel like you're naked, you're uncovered right now, but I'm going to give you a covering of righteousness. And I'm not just going to cover your sin, but I'm going to cover your conscience. I'm going to give you deliverance from guilt. I'm going to give you deliverance from shame. I'm going to give you deliverance from all of the guilt of the things you've done in the past. 
Somebody's got to see this today. I want you to see this. That young man, he, he had his speech all lined up. He knew what he'd been. Don't, he, knew, he knew what he did. He knew what he'd been. He knew what he was. And he had that speech ready. And he began to give that speech, Brother Tim. He said, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I, I've done all that. He, he had the speech. One verse. He gave Dad the speech. And Dad never responded to the speech. He never said, you're right. He never acknowledged the speech at all. He just said, we're going to cover all that. And no matter where you've been or what you've done, there's a Father that if you're willing to confess, He's willing to cover. Because if we confess our sins, He is righteous and just to forgive us our sins. Brother Pat, we've got to... He's got his sleeves rolled up. He's got his jacket off, and he's ready to cover. Why don't we close our eyes for just a moment? Father, you're a wonderful Savior. I thank you for what we feel here today. This is not, this is not con, con, condemnation. It's not shame. It's not, it's not those things that we feel. We feel your love drawing us to you. God, you're always faithful, and you love us so much that you were willing to come yourself, that we might not be lost. You took our punishment already. By your stripes we're healed, and the chastisement of our peace is upon you. Thank you, Lord, that you came, that we would be able to be free. They're going to play today. They're going to sing something. But I, I wonder if, if as, a, as a family, we can do a couple of things. Out of a thankful heart, Everybody that would, I, I would love for you to gather around this front. And if you feel like today you, you need the Father to cover. He's not here to cover you. He's not here to give you condemnation. He's not here to, to, to spew things in your face and make you feel bad about what you've done. He's here to cover. He's here to cover. So as they play, I want to invite everybody that would to come to this altar today because there's forgiveness there's grace, there's mercy, there's a father with rolled up sleeves and a coat that's ready to cover.